What's happening, everybody? How are we doing this morning? We doing good? Feeling good this morning. Uh, it's great to see you all here this morning, and I mean that sincerely. Um, and, and I pray that you uh, enjoy being here as much as I enjoy being here and being a part of this family. Uh, I really do sincerely pray for that, um, that, that this is a place where you can belong, and this is a place where you feel a part of, of uh, this, this body here. Um, so this morning we're going to continue, like Daniel said, in uh, 316, this series about uh, looking at chapter 3, verse 16, um, or I guess it is chapter 3, verse 16, all of our message will be. Um, and, uh, and so it's, it's really kind of cool how that lines up uh, in, in chapter 3, verse 16 of a lot of the books in the, in the New Testament, uh, even some in the Old Testament, how there's a really important truth that comes out in those. And so it's, it's kind of cool how that worked out. Um, so the, last week we talked about John, uh, uh, John 3, 16, kind of the, you know, you got to start there, right? Um, and this week, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, Julie, can you give me that water? Um, so this week... Oh, excuse me, what was that? Sorry, that was a setup. All right, um, this week, yeah, you like that. This week, uh, we're talking about spitting, all right? We're talking about spitting, we're talking about spewing, we're talking Revelation 3.16, all right? So, excuse me. All right, Revelation 3.16, now... As, <laughs> listen, that was about as much spit as normally comes out. It just normally comes out over time and not at one time um, as I'm up here talking. So, no, Revelation 3.16. We're going to get into this scripture, and, uh, and, and I really want to look at it um, in a different way this morning. In a way, and what I believe is through, like, the lens of grace. Um, it's, it's not going to come out where we normally come out on this, at least the way I would normally come out on it. So um, we're going to go to Revelation chapter 3, and we're going to start in verse 14 and end in 19. So Revelation chapter 3, and, and verse 16 is, is obviously the highlight of this. So let's look at it, all right? Revelation 3 says this, To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the men, the, or the, excuse me, the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of creation of God says this. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Because you say I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing, and you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I advise you to buy from me... Gold refined by fire so that you may become rich, and white garments so that you may clothe yourself, and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed, and eye salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love I reprove and discipline, therefore be zealous and repent. So the first thing you need to know about this scripture, uh, it, it obviously it comes in the book of Revelation, okay? So the book of Revelation, it was written by John, the Apostle John, the same John that wrote the Gospel of John. He wrote 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. He's all in, he, he did all those things. And Revelation is uh, it's a letter. The first three chapters especially are letters to uh, these different churches, these seven churches in Asia. But, but he's writing it because he, was, he had a vision, 
He had God uh, met with him in a vision. He showed up in the angel of the Lord or Jesus. Uh, it it, it kind of gets mixed there. It's, I believe it's Jesus. Um, and, and, and he's talking to these seven churches through John. Jesus is talking to these people. And so we have to remember that this is a letter, all right? And so in the first three chapters, whenever you're reading this, it's like, okay, the, this is going directly to people. People are going to have some kind of an understanding, some kind of a context that they're interpreting all that is written to them through, right? It's kind of be, it would kind of be the same thing as if somebody wrote us a letter in Frankfort, Kentucky in 2019. There would be certain things that we understand that are going on in our world. There's certain things about the place that we live, right? Uh, versus if somebody was to send a letter to, to somebody in, in Korea in 1906, right? It would be different. There's a different context there, so things that would be said would have a different meaning in that way, okay? So, uh, so we have to understand that, that that's, that's got, got to come into play here, um, that our scripture is part of a letter that's written to the church in Laodicea. Um, Jesus tells John, write to the church in Smyrna, write to the church in Sardis, write to the church in Philadelphia, write this. Well, this one is to the church in Laodicea, Okay. And, and he tells John to write these specific things. Now, we have to understand that context because if we don't, we get scrambled, okay? We get scrambled in this passage and what this, this passage can actually mean because what happens is we normally read this scripture that says you're neither hot or cold, you're lukewarm, and we picture Jesus doing what I just did, spewing us out of his mouth, right? Ugh, gross, right? You're gross. Get out of here. You repulse me. That's the image that we get of Jesus if, if we read this out of context because we make it about a spiritual temperature. We've been told, most of us, that this scripture is Jesus saying to the church in Laodicea that because you are lukewarm, because you're mediocre, because you're in between, because you're not hot enough, you're not on fire enough for me, you're not sold out enough for me, well, I just can't stand it. And I'm spitting you out of my mouth. I'm not having it. I don't want anything to do with you anymore in that way, right? In fact, Jesus says, I would rather you, you be hot or cold. He said, I would rather you be cold. I wish you would pick one. Be cold. It would be better for you to be cold. It would be better for you to be against me, or I would prefer that you would be against me than to be lukewarm. That's how we read this scripture. That's what we're told. In fact, probably uh, a, a year and a half, two years ago, I would have stood up here on this stage and I would have said something pretty similar to that. Maybe not in, though, in that harsh of a term, um, but, but that's kind of where I would have been on this, on, on, the, on this scripture, right? That Jesus is saying that you need to get serious about your relationship with me because I can't stand it when you're halfway in. You need to make up your mind. Are you serious about your faith or are you not serious about your faith? You know, you've got that little sin thing going on and, and it's not going away. And you know what? If you really tried, it would go away. If you tried harder, if you got serious about it, it would go away. It would stop. You wouldn't have that trouble anymore. And in fact, if you really loved me, Jesus would say in this, in, as we read this, if you really loved me, I mean, you'd be knocking on doors every single night, wouldn't you? You'd be telling other people about me every single chance you got. That's that, and, and, and so listen, you're not doing that. You're not on fire enough for me. You're not hot enough for me. I can't, I'm, I'm not doing it, right? And so we see Jesus spewing us out of his mouth. That, that word spit actually has the connotation of like vomit. So we feel like Jesus is that sick of us that we're being vomited out of him. 
That's what we're taught about this scripture. Maybe not quite in those terms, but it is inferred. It is inferred in that way. And I want to tell you this morning that this scripture is abused. This scripture is used as a manipulation, and, and maybe not even intentionally manipulation. Maybe I, I think people have the best of intentions when they say, you got to get serious about your faith. you got to be serious about this thing, uh, about, about what you're doing in Jesus. I mean, do you really want to risk it? Do you really want to risk that? So do more, give more, be more, try harder, do this, all of that stuff, right? But I think when we read this scripture through the lens of grace, rather than the lens of religion, we can really understand what Jesus is saying to the church in Laodicea, and this time in that context, and also to us through this scripture. So reading it through, through the lens of relationship rather than a lens of performance. And I think to start dismantling what I believe gets mixed up in this whole picture, in this whole scripture, we got to first look at the context that it's written in. So again, number one, context is key. Pretty much in, every, in, in all scripture, but especially this morning, context is key. Context is key in understanding Revelation 3.16 when we view it through grace. Remember, it's a part of a letter, so these people have an understanding. Uh, the, the people of Laodicea, they have a context that they live in and that they're working in and that kind of a thing, right? And, and what's really amazing, it shouldn't surprise us, but, but it, what's really amazing is that the Holy Spirit, writing through John, speaks to them so specifically. So specifically, and it's in a context uh, that, that we probably... We, we don't get right away because we're not in that place. We're not in that time. We don't know what's going on in that city. But Jesus speaks to these people so specific. The use of hot and cold and lukewarm water in this passage is not an accident. To these people, it's not, a, it's not just a cool metaphor. The idea of lukewarm is really very, very, very real to the people in Laodicea in this city. They really understood what lukewarm water was because lukewarm water was the only thing that they had available to them. They knew what lukewarm water was. Laodicea was a, part, was a city um, that didn't have a good source of water for itself. The only way that they got water was through the Roman aqueducts, right? The, that invention, that, that piping system that the Romans developed in order to get water from place to place. And Laodicea was a city that didn't have its own water source. So the only way that they got water was through this piping system from miles and miles and miles away. So you could get water from the coldest cold spring, the coldest mountains. But by the time it got to Laodicea, it was lukewarm. You could get water from the hottest hot spring. But by the time it got to Laodicea... It was lukewarm, right? And who likes lukewarm water? Have you ever had lukewarm water? I remember hiking one time. I was by myself. I was doing some research. I ran out of water on the way uh, back to my truck. I was still about a mile out, but I knew I had to get to my truck because I knew I had a, a half bottle of water in there. It was opened. It was stale. It, it had been there for quite a while. I don't know how long, but I knew it was there because it was in my side cup holder. And I got back to that, that bottle of water, and I mean, it was wet. But it did not refresh me. It was not good. But I drank it because I needed it, right? It was water, but it wasn't very good water. It wasn't tasty water. It didn't refresh me. And so Laodicea 
is, is in that situation. They know lukewarm water. That's what they've got to deal with. Now, they could heat it up over a fire or do something like that, right? Um, but what's also really interesting about this city is that to the west of it was a city called Hierapolis. I think that's how you say it. That's how I'm going to say it. Hierapolis. And Hierapolis was known for its hot springs. Well known in the area. People would come from all over to go to these hot springs that had natural minerals and, and they used it for healing. And, the, and it was a really good water for that kind of a thing. And they, people would come from all over to go to these hot springs for that water. That was to the west of, of Laodicea. To the east of Laodicea is Colossae. Colossians, right? That letter, the letter to the Colossians. That city was well known for its mountain spring water. Super cold spring water. So you've got to the west hot springs. To the east, you've got cold mountain spring water. You ever drank out of a spring, out of a, a pipe? One of those, somebody came along, drove a pipe into the side of the, the hill, and spring water's coming out. You stop alongside the road. Man, that's good water, right? And yet you got Laodicea, right? Smack dab in the middle with nothing but lukewarm water, right? Because theirs has to come through a pipe miles and miles and miles above ground to get there. So all they had was lukewarm water. And here's the kicker. When you think about this idea of hot and cold and lukewarm water, both the hot water and the cold water are great. They're good. They're good things. The cold water, mountain springs, super refreshing when you're hot and you're tired. Hot water, super good for, for healing and, and medicinal purpose and all that, right? But lukewarm water is kind of like, meh, right? It's in between and there's nothing, nothing really, it, it's, I mean, it, again, it's wet, but it's not real useful. And it's not real refreshing in that way. So when Jesus gives this vision to John to write to the people of Laodicea that they were lukewarm water. They know exactly what it's like to live with lukewarm water. They know exactly what it's like to drink lukewarm water. You don't like it. You spit it out. Especially if you're used to cold water, you're used to hot water. It's, you, you don't want the, right? You spit it out. It's not tasty. It's not good. So Jesus is, is using this and he's writing to them and he says this, this, is, this is a metaphor for, specifically for these people, Right? It has nothing to do with what we normally put onto it, which is eternity. Spending eternal, I'm spitting you out of my mouth. You're not on fire enough for me, and you're, you're not cold. You're kind of in between. Because what happens is when in our Western minds, in our religious understanding, we take that image and we make it some kind of a spiritual scale. Some kind of a hot to cold spiritual scale. And in between there somewhere, you're, 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 you're warm you know, you're saved, but you're not really doing anything. You're not really on fire, right? We make it this, loop, this, this spiritual scale of hot to cold. And if, and if Jesus, Jesus says, listen, you're not hot, you're not, you're not on fire on, for, for me enough, so I'm going to spit you out. He wishes you were hot or cold, but not in between. But wait a minute. You're telling me. That Jesus is telling the church, this was written to the church. Jesus is talking to people of the church who know him, who have a relationship with him. You're telling me that Jesus is telling the church that he wishes they were cold. That he wishes they were spiritually cold. He's, you're telling me that he's saying to them that it would be better for, for me to not know you at all than for, for, for us to have a little bit of a relationship. Really? I don't think so, right? 
Because that's what you're saying if, if you take it to mean this is some kind of a, a hot, cold, spiritual spectrum. That can't be right. Because my Jesus came that I might have life and for me to be made right through him. Would, would then, if that happens, if I'm made right through him, would he then look at me and say, yeah, but you're just not serious about this thing enough. Get out of my sight. Would he do that? No. It doesn't make any sense. But we adopt that understanding when we, when we don't look at this scripture through a lens of grace. Because grace says that it's not about you. It's not about what, what you're doing well enough. It's 100% about what Jesus did on the cross. And that's not just grace at salvation. And then you got to stay on fire for me so that I don't spit you out of my mouth. No, you're saved by grace and you're kept in grace. Ephesians 2 says, 2 verse 8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we could walk in them. Not saved once by grace, but then based on your works after that. No, saved 100% by what Jesus did on the cross and kept 100% in Christ. That scripture right there says we were created in Christ, born in Christ, born again in Christ, and born for good works, not by good works. Born for good works. So this idea of a lukewarm Christian and the lukewarm Christian gets spit out of the mouth of Jesus, it doesn't fit with the gospel of grace. It's fine for religion where it's some kind of a hybrid mix of, of grace to start out with, but then at some point you've got to start earning your keep, right? But it doesn't fit with real grace. So context is key. Context is key. But we also have to see that there's a difference as we read this. There's a difference between discipline, which is referred to in verse 19, it said, Jesus says, those that I love, I reprove and I discipline, okay? There's a difference between discipline and punishment. And it's this idea of punishment that drives so much of the lukewarm Christian idea that, 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 that it, that's out there that you can be lukewarm and you're going to get spit out. So if context puts a crack, if context puts a crack in the idea of, of a lukewarm kind of a deal, then as we look at the idea of discipline versus punishment, it's going to break this thing wide open, all right? So discipline versus punishment. Point two. If you were here last Sunday for the first week of the cure, we touched on this just a hair. And people, I could tell it got some wheels turning for people, and so I'm really excited that I get to do this again, that we get to talk about it and explore it a little bit more. But there is a huge difference between discipline and punishment. And we don't always make that distinction because maybe in our lives we grew up and they were the same thing. Maybe that was our understanding, okay? That, that punishment, we only ever got punishment, and so we interpret that as, well, that's what discipline is. But it's not the same thing. There's total difference. Um, and it's really key that we, as we look at Scripture, we understand that difference. Punishment, you can think of punishment like retribution, okay? Punishment is like, like getting back at you. Because you did this, now I'm getting back at you, okay? 
because you did this, now I'm getting back. Because you hurt me, I'm going to hurt you. Because you hurt me, you need to suffer a little bit, right? Because you did this, there's, there needs to be some, some pain. There needs to be some hurt. Punishment is really tied to past actions in that way. There's a big argument in the legal system when you talk about jail, when you talk about corrections. Uh, there's a big argument in the legal system between punishment or correction. And, and, it's, and it's those two sides of this, of this punishment versus discipline. It's the two sides of the same thing. Should our legal system be about punishing people for breaking the law, or should our legal system be about rehabilitation and correction for, for future breaking of the law, right? Um, and I'm not going to, we're, we're not coming out on either end of that. I'm just saying that that really speaks to the difference between discipline and punishment. It really highlights it. Are we talking about punishment or are we talking about discipline? Are we talking about punishment or are we talking about correction? Are we talking about punishment or are we talking about training up? You see the difference? There's a difference there, a very clear difference. And when we look at Revelation 3.16 and it says, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth for not being spiritually on fire enough for me, we're, we're looking at Scripture through the lens of punishment. That because you're lukewarm, you're going to be punished. I'm going to spit you out. You haven't done enough for me. You aren't making the cut, and I'm punishing you because of it. You make me sick, so I vomit you out of my mouth. That's the way we read it. You aren't worthy of being called mine anymore, and I'm getting rid of you. That's punishment. That's how, when we read this through punishment, that's what we see. I've told this story before. Um, when Julie and I were first married, we went on a camping trip, very first camping trip. It was the worst thunderstorm I've ever been outside during, and we were inside of a tent, and so you're laying there at night looking up at this tent, and all you see is flash, 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 flash. I mean, it was one of those, like, giant lightning storms. It was consistent, but don't worry. We were underneath probably the biggest tree in the park, so we were safe, right? <laughs> I don't know how we are here today, but anyway, um, we were. And so, and so the next morning we woke up and we decided we were going to go on a walk. It was one of those really nice mornings. It was cool. It was, it was a little bit damp, so there was like a mist kind of hanging in the air, but it wasn't a fog, you know, that was all the way to the ground. Um, and so we, we went on this walk. It was in a state park. So we were on the trail and we were walking along. And as we were walking along, I, I look up and there's a, a wasp nest, a giant wasp nest. And I'm looking at that thing and I'm like, man, that is sweet, right? That is really cool. There's nothing happening, and, and it, like this thing is empty. And we grew up in camp, and at camp, there was always a giant wasp nest that was kind of in the corner of the, of the dining hall that, that was just there, and it was really cool to look at, one of those big paper wasp nests. And so I, we saw this wasp nest hanging up there, and I was like, I'm taking that home with me, right? Um, because well, why not? I, think, I, don't, I don't think it's legal to take anything from a state park like that, but I was going to do it. Um, and so I grabbed, found a big stick. And I chucked this stick up, and I hit the nest, and it was real quiet. And then all of a sudden, you hear a this growing buzz, because that wasp nest was not empty. That wasp nest was full, in fact, of wasps, and it was a big nest. And we're looking at this thing, and I'm going, well, now what do we do? Oh, man, oh, man. And, and right about the same time that the quiet was, was broken by the buzzing, there was, it was also another break in, in the quiet by some voices, some, some jovial laughter we hear coming from behind us from, from a couple of guys uh, uh, coming down the trail. <laughs> and I turned to look at Julia, and I don't know why this was my reaction. I can't to this day tell you why I decided this, but I looked at her and I said, 
go, 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 right? So we turn and we go on the trail and we're, we're, we take off like, no, nothing's going on, nothing, we, we didn't do anything here. I have no idea to this day why that's what we decided to do, but we did. And as we're walking along, kind of pretending like we're not doing anything, we're just walking along, enjoying our nice leisurely stroll, we hear from behind us, right? And these guys, boom, come flying past us. Because they were jogging, and now they're sprinting uh, to get away from the wasps that had stung them as they went right underneath this wasp nest. And all is shame, shame is right. And we did that. I did that. You're right. <laughs> I did that. Um, and as we were walking, we just started to talk about what's going to happen to us next. What's God going to do to us? And we, we said those words out loud. We got back to the tent and we had this discussion. How's God going to punish us? What's going to happen with that? And it makes... It, it, Honestly, it makes me a little bit sick to think that that was our understanding of God and how God was going to work in that situation. I mean, we'd been believers. At that point, I, was, I had been, a, a, been serious in my faith, serious in my faith, there's the words, uh, for, for about four years. And I was like, what's God going to do to us in this situation? What a terrible way to live. What a terrible way to see the world and to see a relationship with God. We're waiting on pins and needles. So many Christians are like this. We wait on pins and needles. We tiptoe around trying not to do anything wrong, trying not to offend God because we're trying to avoid the punishment. And that's what this scripture is when we look at it through the lens of punishment. That he's going to spit us out because he's had enough of us and we didn't do it right and we're not enough. But verse 19 doesn't talk about punishment. Verse 19 says, those whom I love, I reprove and I discipline. I reprove and discipline those that I love. Not punish, but discipline and reprove. And you can look at those two words, discipline and reprove, or, or reprove and discipline. And to reprove is like to correct. I correct those that I love. I discipline. Discipline, you can say train up. I correct and train up those that I love. Not get back at, not pay back for, but I correct and train up. Hebrews 12 is another discipline scripture. This one's out of the ESV, and it says this. It's for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful, and rather, ra uh, excuse me, seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. I discipline those that I love. Discipline, according to Hebrews 12, is for his children. 
He disciplines us as sons and as daughters because that's what we are. Not because he's fed up with us, not because we need to learn our lesson and we better, we're going to have to endure this, we're going to suffer this because we've got to learn our lesson, but because he's a good father and because he wants what is best for us and what is best for us is for us to really understand who he is and who we are in him. This last verse here in, in Hebrews 12, it says that having been trained up, we would have the peaceful fruit of righteousness. His discipline brings peace. The peaceful fruit of righteousness. Not fear, not stress, not anger. His discipline brings peace. Finding peace in an understanding that I am made right in him because he is training me up to live up to that. When we discipline our kids, it's not because we can't stand the sight of them. And we just want them gone. We just want them out of here. It's because we want them to grow up knowing who they are in God. That God, who God has created them to be. And the way that they're acting in this moment is not who God created them to be. So we discipline them. And we train them up. And we correct. We don't discipline because we're angry or we're fed up. We discipline because we hope for better in the future for them. Andrew Farley is a, a pastor that's, that's really got a hold on this whole grace uh, message and the message of righteousness. And Andrew, he puts it this way. He says that we can understand that God's discipline is training for the future, not punishment for the past. God's discipline is training for the future, not punishment for the past. And we can be sure that it's not punishment because Jesus took all the punishment for us on the cross, right? The punishment is done. The, the wrath of God was satisfied on the cross. All the punishment, not part of the punishment, and there's a little bit left for us. All of the punishment was satisfied on the cross. The punishment's done. So now we're, we're in Christ, and we are his disciples. Disciples? Discipline? See how that works there? Disciples were being trained up by the Holy Spirit in us through that relationship with him. It's the same root word, disciple, discipline. We're disciples, followers of Jesus, found in him, made right in him, and he is training us up in him by the power of the Holy Spirit according to his timing. So Revelation 3.16 is about discipline, not punishment. It's about discipline, not punishment. It's about training these people in Laodicea and us as a body of Christ as a body of believers, it's about training them up, not punishing them and spitting them out of his mouth and saying, I've had enough of you. Now, there is something going on here. Clearly, there's something that Jesus is addressing with these people in, in Laodicea that, that, that he says, listen, it's like lukewarm water. You know what that's like. It doesn't taste good. It's not good. And I, I, don't, I don't want that for you. But it's not retribution or, or revenge. Point number three, this is discipline. This is discipline for the church in Laodicea. So understanding that lukewarm water is an image that these people are going to get, they're going to know it, knowing that this is discipline, that Jesus is getting their attention, uh, and he's saying, listen, hey, there is something that's happening in your church that's distasteful. I don't really like it. It doesn't taste good to me. It's, it's like lukewarm water. And so I'm addressing it now. This is discipline. You see that? 
This is discipline for those believers. He's disciplining those he loves. He's helping them see their error. He's talking to them about change that needs to come. He's not, he's not retracting eternal life. He's disciplining them. So what's Jesus not so pleased about? What, what, what isn't tasteful to him with what's going on? Well, in verse 17, Jesus says, What I find distasteful, what's of no use to me, is your attitude of, I am rich. In verse 17, I am rich, I have become wealthy, and I have need of nothing. He says, your attitude that says that you don't need God, that I don't need anything from you, that I don't need grace because I've got it all covered, I'm rich, I'm wealthy in this way, right? And he says, and you don't, you, you don't know that you're wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked, what you can't see with that attitude that you've got it all covered is that really you're blind and you're poor and you're naked. You can't see it. Jesus continues on in verse 18, and I love this. He says, but I advise you, it's like a counselor, I would advise that you do this, that you buy gold from me so you're not poor, that you would buy white garments from me so that you're clothed, that you would buy salve for your eyes so that you can see, Okay. So this is the thing that Jesus is disciplining for. He says, now, is, is God really saying that they need to buy gold from him, that they need to buy uh, their clothing from him or, or, or eye salve for them? Is he really saying that? No, you and I understand that. This is a spiritual thing that he's talking about, right? This is, he's, he's talking to them about a spiritual re- reality. He's saying, you think that you're making it on your own spiritually. You think you're self-made spiritually. You think you're rich and you don't have any needs. Translate that to the spiritual thing, right? You think you're rich and you're wealthy by your own doing, spiritually. You think you're spiritually wealthy because of what you're doing. But what you're doing leaves you wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. You and your works leave you spiritually wretched and miserable. When that's what you're depending on to have, quote, no needs. You feel like you're covered because of your good works, but, but the reality is you're naked. You think you can see clearly because you think this is what I need from you, but you're blind. You think you are set for life, but trusting in your own goodness leaves you bankrupt. Instead, Jesus says, buy from me my stuff. Buy from me my stuff, buy buy my gold, buy my garments, buy my salve for your eyes, buy from me, take what I've got, take what I did for you. Trust what I did on the cross. This is the discipline that Jesus is giving them. He says that you have been trusting in yourself to be spiritually self-made instead of taking what I've done on the cross for you and deciding it's enough. I wish that you were hot or cold. I wish that you were the good stuff, but you're lukewarm because you're settling for okay. You're settling for religion. You're settling for okay when I have, what I have for you is unbelievable. Your stuff is nothing. My stuff is everything. Buy it from me. Because everything that you can do doesn't matter. It's only my grace that makes you righteous, not anything that you can add to it. I'm intrigued by this idea of buying things from God. 
He says, buy, buy gold from me, buy garments from me, buy salve from me. Why does Jesus use that word? Because we know it's, it's not anything that, that we're doing or we're actually giving God. Why does he use the word buy? To buy from him rather than just to receive from him. And it reminds me of Matthew 13. Where in these parables Jesus told and, and starting in verse 44 he says this. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field which a man found and hid again. And from joy over it he goes and he sells all that he has and buys that field. Again the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. And upon finding one pearl of great value he went, sold all that he had and he bought it. Now, those scriptures in themselves, people will use and say, listen, you got to sell all your stuff, you got to give it to the poor, and, 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 and sacrifice for Jesus in, in that way, right? People will take those scriptures that way. I'm not taking them that way. These guys, these guys found something of value. And to buy it, to take a hold of it, to grasp it, they had to sell all that they had, right? They found something new of value, but in order to gain it, they had to sell all their old stuff. Jesus says, buy from me my stuff. Buy from me grace that says I want a real relationship with you. Buy from me an understanding that you were made righteous because you have a new nature in Christ. Buy from me the realization that you live in me and I live in you in the power of the Holy Spirit. Buy from me my stuff. Buy that from me. That's the treasure. That's the pearl. You know what you got you know to do to get it? you got to sell all your old stuff, right? The old way of thinking, you got to sell that. The old way of thinking that says, i got to do more, I've got to be more, I've, I'm saved by grace, but I've got I've to stay spiritually hot enough to avoid the possibility of Jesus spitting me out of his mouth. I don't know if I'm safe, I don't know if I'm there, I don't know, right? I better do this to make God happy. You can't have both understandings. Exchange yours for his give over to him what you have for what he has give over to him your view of yourself take up his view of you you are who he says you are but you can only live in that truth if you give over to him the idea that you're just a sad old sinner saved by grace i'm nothing you're you're not a sinner saved by grace you are a righteous son or daughter of the king of the universe. And you were made that way because he made you that way. And you gave him your life and you died with him and you rose with him. Buy it from him. Exchange your old religious way of thinking. Sell it all for real grace. In verse 19, again, Jesus says this. He says, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Be zealous and repent. You know what the word zealous means? The word zealous means, in short, to be excited about something, to desire earnestly something, to want something really bad, right? To repent, literally. The translation, the literal translation of to repent means to change your mind. Jesus is saying, change your mind about these things. Change the way you think about these things. Earnestly desire the grace that I'm offering you and change your mind. Repent from the old way. Sell the old stuff. Change your mind about the old stuff and recognize that what I've got for you is good. And it's the only thing. 
Be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and then you'll be able to see what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Romans 12. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is discipline for the church in Laodicea. This is discipline that says, you've been seeing it this way, but here's what I've got for you. Buy from me the good stuff. Sell that old way of thinking. You're still water, but you're not good water. You're still water. You still got that, but sell it. Sell it. Sell your old stuff. Buy from me the good stuff. Change your thinking. He is training us up for a future. He's not punishing us for a past. You know, the craziest part about this whole passage is that what Jesus is addressing to this church and Laodicea, what he's disciplining them for, it's for the very thing that we turn this passage into when we say we're gonna spit, he's going to spit us out of his mouth. Isn't that crazy? When we turn this into a spiritual temperature assessment, a passage that says, buy from me my righteousness, where you were made righteous by nothing that you do, but by what I have done, gets turned into... If you don't do enough, I'll spit you out. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Isn't that crazy that that's the way we twist this thing? It's literally the opposite of what he's trying to say. And we twist this thing around. Or the enemy twists it around and our understanding around. But you know what's even crazier? Is when we miss it that bad, God's still crazy about us. See that? And he's crazy about us enough to discipline us, and he's crazy about us enough to correct us. Because he wants what he's got for us. He wants that to be the reality in our lives. Why don't you stand up to your feet? We're going to have some prayer people come up here. And I want you to know we don't offer prayer for you so that it looks holy. We don't offer a prayer time for you so that whatever, I don't know, we're, we're not into religious whatever. We're into the opportunity for you to have prayer if you want prayer. So whatever is going on in your life, whether it applies to this message or not, these people want to pray for you. But I really think there's people that need freedom. And we've been preaching this for the last six weeks. Grace, real grace, free from religion, Free from, I got to do enough. I, am, am I good enough? Is God, does God, what does God think about me? Listen, God loved you enough to die for you. That's what he thinks about you. And that doesn't change after you recognize that he loved you enough to die for you. He still loves you enough. It doesn't change. His love for you is constant. So maybe you need freedom from that. These people want to pray that over you. And... Um, we're going to sing a couple more songs, and, and I would just invite you to, to, to worship and to move at any point. First song, the, the prayer people will be up here. Second song, they'll be in the back if you want to move. So feel free to do that.